0: That was a clip from the new choral work, St John Passion, performed by the Wells Cathedral Choir, Chaconne Brass, members of the Wells Voluntary Choir and the Wells Cathedral Oratoria Society. The composer, Bob Chilgott, joins us for today's podcast. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. Uh, how did the commission for this work come about? Um, Matthew asked me to
1: um, write a setting a few years ago, which I, uh, which I kind of was a little bit worried about, the idea of writing a... A passion, mm. um, because there are so many great precedents. Sure, and um, I, I thought about it for a while, because actually I, I couldn't think about how I was going to do the piece till I'd actually schemed out in my mind how I was going to use the choir, mm. how I was going to con- construe the drama, and, yeah. um, and and when I I came to a point where I thought I think I probably be, um, could approach it because I the idea for me was to write a piece that could be used. Um, as a liturgical work, so in fact, the first performance with, which they did at Wells a few years ago um, it it was actually performed as a kind of service mm. um, a, a
0: kind of service stroke concert so it was in between. Almost something like one of these grand John Stainer works for as much for the audience exactly. for the congregation as for everyone else.
1: Exactly and and the idea because I, um, Matthew conducted that performance with, in Wells and I conducted the, the one we did in uh, America in Dallas and that the key was um, that um, it had to have some hymn settings which all the audience stroke congregation could enjoy and yeah. also join in sure um and uh, i know that matthew said to me when he uh at the first performance he just wasn't sure how people were going to take to singing the hymns and um the first hymn is number three of the piece and uh, he said it was amazing when because he had his back to the audience he said when that hymn started, he heard this kind of wall of sound, which he didn't expect. Oh, fantastic. And I think it moved him quite a lot. And I had the same experience, actually, in Dallas when we did it there in this big church. And
0: it was, they kind of act as a real central aspect of of the piece for me. Sure. Um, given there's been something of a resurgence in the popularity of choral singing, uh, it's a bit flippant. Given the success of TV shows such as The Choir and Military Wives, do you think there's more of a sense that works like this should be inclusive for congregations or for larger groups of people who aren't necessarily um, regular singers?
1: I think so. I think there's a very good reason to do that because uh, everyone loves to sing and, you know, it's a bit of a cliche almost Mm. now, but but everyone does love to sing and and given the right context and given an area where people can really feel they can be part of something, I think that's great. I think the kind of performance art which involves the audience is ver- is very much uh, on people's minds now, and I I like that. You know, I I've uh, I've tried to embrace that in my work because I like that kind of thing, and I like well, I like people. I I, I like working with ordinary singers, you know, yeah. as a and and so that for me for me I I agree with that. I think it's I think it's great.
0: Yeah, um, you know. fantastic. Uh, going back into your past a little bit more, it um, must have been quite a change because you were with the King Singers for 12 years as their tenor. Was it quite a change moving from life as a professional singer to life as a composer?
1: Um, well, I suppose it was in one sense, but but in another sense, it was being in the King Singers that really um, focused me on on really what I wanted to do. Um, I'd always composed, but um, I, I I was composing... Well, certainly at university, I was composing in an era when the type of music that I wrote had no context within right. uh, within the kind of contemporary music world that I I imagined. Yeah. Um, but the fact is, if you go to a King Singers concert, um, the chances are—I mean, they're always full. That's the the thing because they're yes. fabulous and they're very famous. But you'll find that probably fifty percent of the audience are choir singers mm. of of some kind, or singers of some kind, and they go because they love hearing something done at that level.
0: The way they do it. I mean.
1: Exactly. And a lot of them are amateur singers. And latterly, in my time in the group, we came to contact with a lot of amateur singers, and I loved that. And I realized that that was where I wanted my my life to be. The I, I that, you enjoyed about it. Yeah, yeah. Because actually, working at that very high professional level, we only really came into from a work point of view, we only came to contact with other professionals. Yeah. Um, so it was lovely to have that that side of it, and I decided that was the world that really interested me. That
0: really took to you. Yeah. yeah. You still compose and arrange for the King Singers. Do you think you have some unique insights into that particular combination of voices when you arrange for them now or write for them now?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question because I think when I when I arranged for them when I was in the group, I was very much within that sound. So I I kind of understood the sound in the way that I knew that sound. When I started focusing on writing for choirs, of course, the way that you construe a piece for a choir is completely different. They asked me a few years ago, I wrote a a piece called Swimming Over London, which was on a CD of theirs from a few years ago, um, which I loved doing, but I had to take myself back into that vocal group world. And I found it quite hard, I have to say. Um, and then when I found it, I, I, it kind of felt like familiar territory, but at the same time, I had a lot more experience of my other... um other choral work. Yeah. So
0: something to come back to. Almost.
1: Exactly. And, and I... I I uh, I loved writing for them and, and of course the, the great thing about writing something for a group like them is you know when you write that note or you know when you write that dynamic, you know they're going to know the right way to sing it sure. and, and that chord is going to be beautifully in tune, you know, because yeah. that's, that's the, the way they are, but for most people who sing in the choral world that's the heartbeat
2: A woman is swimming over land a fox turns up his face to see her pass There are blackbirds in the sleeping streets A petri-luminous with loss. Oh, it's the dream she always has The dream, the dream she always dream she, she always has, has where she's
0: touching the glove. that was a clip from swimming over london uh, bob you've worked quite extensively with a large number of choirs all around the world as a conductor uh looking at your biography just recently uh in 2014 you went to japan the usa germany denmark and seoul which is quite a hectic schedule i'm sure do you find that leading performances of your own works changes the way you write them or the way you direct them with different choirs? Definitely,
1: and I, I think um, uh, one of the things that's so hard to know as a composer is how easy people find things or how things are, are learned to be understood by singers mm. in the way that you want them to. Um, I, I, you know, I made the the comparison with the King singers just now. The King singers are because of the way they work they're very instinctive musically and and they they swim in between so many different styles that they know how to address them in the way that they can sing yeah and for for normal singers that can be a challenge so you 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 hope that the kind of thing that you perceive in your mind is going to be understood by the singers and for me the one thing that I have discovered from going quite all over well all over the world to yeah. conduct choirs from kind of different cultures is that in reality if you hit on something that people do kind of identify with it's pretty universal i think mm. i think actually people like to do things that connect with their emotion and with their their basic visceral understanding of what singing is and and that for me is is the really exciting aspect. So, yeah. you know, you can go to Japan and they'll sing a, maybe a, a Christian piece, but at the same time they're very, they're very um, sensitive towards uh, the, the, the belief and the feeling behind that. So it doesn't really matter, you know, what kind of piece it is as long as people feel a way
0: of connecting with mm. it. And um, I've, I've, I love that aspect of it. Yeah, It must be quite amazing hearing the different ways of different... Not even just from country to country, choir to choir, pick up on a piece and find different things in it or different aspects which perhaps you hadn't spotted yourself. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And I think what's what I've found very
1: enjoyable is being able to travel particularly to Asia um, where they're very respectful of the European culture but they haven't grown up with it like we have. In many ways, in Europe, we're quite conservative mm. in our view about music, um, we I I like the I've always liked this very open aspect to two different types of music, and I think um, outside of Europe um, they, they they've addressed
0: that a little less self consciously than we have. Mm. Moving back to your European work, uh, one such collaboration is with the Vrotswaff Philharmonic Choir and Chorus. Um, I believe you're going to introduce one of the tracks from that album, "The Seas of Stars."
1: Yes, actually, it's a piece I wrote for upper voices, so it's just the women singers alone. They're going to sing a song called "Remember Me," which is a setting of um, Christine Rossetti poem about about death. Basically, mm. um, it's a marvelous poem, actually, and very, very emotionally connected in a in in a way that you can't imagine which era it comes from it's so kind of um committed in its in its idea, and I wrote this for in memory of all those young people who died in Norway in that tragic shooting in two thousand and eleven um and uh, um it's I think a lot of people have connected with this poem mm. um and i I love it actually.
0: So, Bob, obviously, touring, conducting, and performing take up a lot of your professional time. So, what do you like to do when you're away from that, or just to unwind?
1: Yeah, I, I've always I've always loved sport. Actually, hmm. I I uh, one of the things that I've I've always tried to play some sort of sport. And yeah. I, I, I I'm getting a bit too old now to play football, which no. I, I would love to do. But I I um, every morning I, when I wake up, I I skip, so I've, I I do I skip for twenty minutes with a rope with a rope. Oh right, yeah. I, I think I read a long time ago that um, uh, Dietrich Fischer-Dieskau used to skip, and um, he he was a chain smoker actually. Right, um, but he was incredibly fit. Oh, I remember because when I was at Cambridge, he um, we recorded the Christmas Oratorio, and uh, he came up and sang the solos, and he used my room mm. um, as a kind of bass. And uh, when, I, when I left, when he left, um, I went into the room and there was an ashtray absolutely <laughs> stuffed full of um, cigarette ends. Wow. But he skipped all his life. And I love it, actually. And I do it every day in the same place outside. Mm. And I'd, I go out in all weathers, in the rain and when it's snow, when it's snowed. And we live in the country, so we're surrounded by fields. And I just love it, seeing the sky, different, same yeah. time every, every day. I find it quite sort of. I find that quite grounding for me.
2: Yeah.
0: Plus, I love the exercise. Well, I can imagine uh, it sounds like it keeps people in shape even. <laughs> when... <laughs> you hope so. Through most strenuous conditions. Yeah. You've been principal guest conductor with BBC Singers since 2002, and you're also writing a pose for them. As with the King Singers, do you find that with the BBC Singers you can really go let yourself off the leash technically and sort of give them things that you wouldn't perhaps give other uh, amateur choirs?
1: Yes, that's possibly true I I uh, never aspired to be a conductor at all actually and I I fell into it mainly because I I filled in as conductor of the Royal College Music Chorus and I loved it actually Mm -hmm. and I did it for seven years um and I I think my first rehearsal I must have looked like I was coming into land at Heathrow or something like that I mean it was I was just dire but I I I had I had a reasonable musicality, so I and I knew how to fix things yeah. if they. um But uh, most of my work, to be honest, is with young singers, um, and I love that. and And so, when I got the chance to conduct the beauty singers, it was something I didn't expect to do. Mm. So I thought, how am I going to do this? You know, I mean, a lot of them I've known all my life, and they're yeah. going to think this is uh, you know poacher turned gamekeeper, you sure. know. And I, I went into. Uh, first rehearsal i realized all the work that i'd done with particularly with children actually taught me a lot about um how i felt about communication Mm. Um, and i loved that but at the same time they're so musically able yeah you know that they can they you literally you ask them to do something and they do it david hill has always said that they're the only choir he's really ever met who are like an orchestra mm. they they basically the conductor says can you do this and they and they do it mm. um they're a, they're an amazing group actually very very able and extremely quick and um i've i've enjoyed my association well i'm still you know 12 years later i'm still Prince guest conductor I, I can't believe it i'm sure they you know probably they they made a mistake, and they should have kicked me out. You know, ten years ago. But oh, sure I, yes. I absolutely love it. You know, yeah. and I, apart from anything else, I love going in and seeing them because they're really nice people.
0: Yeah, and funny. Um, just to finish up, do you have any interesting concerts or exciting works we should look out for as 2015 continues?
1: Um, actually, you know, I'm going to be 60 next year. I can't. Oh, I can't believe. <laughs> I can't believe it. I, I, as my wife says, you know. Sixty with the brain of a ten-year-old, you know, and still skipping, <laughs> and still skipping. But uh, so I've got a, I've got a lot on this year. I've, I'm writing a big piece for a huge, different variety of groups for Age UK, which is mm. a, a, a real big community project. I've got a couple of, I've got quite a lot of premieres this year, um, and and so I'm, I've got a lot on this year, which I'm really looking forward to, and uh, I must say I'm. The thing I am really excited about is is my recording of the John Passion coming out because I realised um, after I'd written it that probably writing that piece um, surprised me hugely because it 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 brought me into contact with a part of myself yeah. um, in a way that I I didn't imagine. I realised, you know, when you grow up in a certain sort of tradition like I do, I grew up singing in church and like most other singers like me and you, you know, you connect lots of things with your life musically, but actually this connected me in a human way, um, in a way that I didn't expect. And I found that quite, quite nice, I have to say, Excellent. and quite very important for me. So I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited about that recording, particularly um, because I think it's, it's, it's about from the from lots of points of view, it's about me almost m- more than any other piece that I've felt about. I thought it's an honest yeah. thing, and if people don't like it, that's too bad. That you know, but um, and it, um, that that's how it feels for me. Would you like to introduce us to the final piece we're going to hear today? Yes, I think this is uh, one of the hymn settings actually from um, my passion, and I've never written any hymns before, and I never thought I'd have the ability to do it. Um, but actually um, this is a very well-known text it's When I Survey the Wondrous Cross and uh, it's the last thing that comes in the piece and I think they sing it fantastically on this and I I find it quite emotional uh, for me so I think I'd like to hear that if that's possible Absolutely, Bob, thanks very much for joining us Thank you, Matt You for downloading the signum records podcast so i think i'm going to be asking um a question uh based on my miserable career that we've been talking about is um uh and and anyone who might uh, know the answer to this um you if you email your answer to podcast at signum you could win a copy of my saint john passion And that will change your life. So this is the question for you. Of which choral ensemble was Bob Chilcott a member of for 12 years? And if anyone writes fascinating Aida, you you know, meet me behind the bike sheds. For more information on Signum Records releases, go to signumrecords.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Spotify or follow us on Twitter at Signum Records.